Well, let's welcome Coach Bruton back to the show. Coach, do you have team updates for us? Uh, you know, not not a ton of team updates. We we got through the bye week and got through healthy, and that was a positive. And now our focus is on uh, on Aurora. So uh, obviously, a huge challenge, huge test for us, and a, a great measuring stick opportunity for our guys on Saturday. And that's really where our focus is as a program right now. Well, well, let's talk about that bye week for just a moment because I know one of the concerns you had was, you know, how focused the team stayed late in the season having a break like that. So how did you feel they responded and are pre- and prepared for Aurora this week? Yeah, it was it was a good week. You know, we got uh, some time for rest and recovery, which I think was a positive. And uh, as I always talk about, I think the physical rest and recovery, but also just the mental rest and recovery, I think was was a real positive. And um, got after them pretty good on Wednesday last week. We we scrimmaged and, and went pretty hard and didn't go live, but you know as close to live as we'll go in, in a kind of a midseason uh, period. So um, got some reps there and had a really competitive day. And then Thursday came back and. Um, really was more focused on corrections and individual and, and technique type stuff and really put the focus on us as a program and, you know, thought we had uh, had a good week. You know, our, our guys really attacked the weight room. Um, so we had we had a couple of days of lifts and, and really got after them in the weight room as well. And you know, that's been a big focus for us as, as a team is, you know, we need to get stronger. We need to be more bought into our weight program. Uh, and, and that's going to be a huge point of emphasis going forward. You know, we We've seen it in games this year that we're just not big enough and not strong enough, and, and that's been a point of emphasis. So that was a really positive bye week overall, and um, you know, obviously uh, you know, now our focus is on Aurora, but it was a good week to kind of focus on us and, and, again, get that rest and recovery time. This week you take on Aurora, you know, clearly a top 15 team across the country here. So your thoughts on just facing the team? Yeah, I mean they're, they're outstanding. Um, they're 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 killing everybody in the conference. I think they're averaging about seventy points in the conference. Um, they have not given up more than ten in in uh, in five or six conference games now. I think six conference games now, and they're outstanding. Um, you know, defensively they're bringing back eleven starters. Uh, offensively, they may have the best running back in the country. Um, they're tremendously talented at receiver. Uh, it, you know, it's a team that's probably on the short list of teams that have a chance to win the national championship. You know, there's probably you know, eight to ten teams that probably think they have a shot, and I think Aurora's in that group. There's probably a smaller group of three to four that are kind of, um, you know, maybe the favorites or the, the teams that you, know, you look at and say have a really good shot to win it, and, and I think Aurora's probably in that next group that, um, you know, certainly has a shot. They were a final eight team last year, and like I said, they brought back um, all 11 starters on defense. They're playing outstanding defensively. Um, so it's an outstanding football team and, and um, you know, really just a tremendous test for us. And, you know, we're going to have to play really well. We're going to have to minimize all mistakes, you know, so we're going to have to be really sound on special teams. Uh, can't turn the ball over. Um, we're going to need some breaks. And, and you know, if, we, if those things happen, you know, again, we've talked about just trying to win rep after rep. So can we win the next play? Uh, knowing they're going to win a lot of the plays. You know, they're going to win a lot. And can we win the next play? Can we just have that mentality that we're going to play play after play and, Win our individual matchups and, and uh, you know and try to try to play it that way. So it's going to be a great measuring stick for us. You know I think um, you know for our program to get back to where we want to be. You know this is the team that we need to beat, and, and this is the team that everybody in our league needs to beat. And at some point somebody's going to beat them. Um, you know and, and again we want to measure and see where we're at and and, uh, and take our shot. Well, let's jump into fan questions, and we'll start with Rod. He would like to know, do you worry about the score in this game at all, or do you simply focus on just continuously doing the things you want to do regardless of what the score is? 
yeah, obviously, I mean, you, you worry about the score. You know, we get we get graded on a scoreboard, so you worry about the score. And, um, you know, again, I think for us, can we make them work for things? You know, it's it's the difference between the the 80-yard touchdown pass and the 10-play the touchdown drive where, you know, maybe they convert a couple third downs and you give yourself those opportunities. Um, you know, offensively, can we sustain drives? Can we run the ball, you know, effectively? Can we win first down? That's been a big point emphasis for us offensively is, you know, getting ourselves in better second-down situations. So, you know, second five, second four, second six are, are positives for us. Um, you know, but, yeah, I think I think you have to worry about the scoreboard. You know, you have to worry about, what you know, what the what the score looks like. And, um, you know, our guys know what the challenge is. We're, you know, we haven't uh, – you know, they, they see the scores. They see the comparisons. They see what Aurora's doing to conference teams. Um, so it's not like it's a mystery that it's going to be a, a huge test for us. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like we're going in there saying, "Hey, we we want to, you know, if we can just keep it within 40 or 50 or, or 30, whatever it might be." That's not our mentality at all. You know, our mentality is, like I said, win the next rep, win the next play, um, you know, get through a series of plays and 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 see where we're at. You know, and just keep, continue to attack the game that way and um, and just see what happens. You know, I think that's it. It's, it's just going out there with the right attitude. Now, the one thing I'll say is that I think. A lot of teams, when they play them, go in there with the mentality that, hey, this is going to be a loss, and it, and it might it might impact your effort. It may impact your focus. Um, it may impact your willingness to continue to fight when, when things aren't going well. And um, if you go in there with that attitude, it's going to be a really, really long Saturday, and, and we're not going to do that. Phil would like to know if you know if Flashville and Buena Vista will be stay on the schedule for next year. Uh, Platteville will. Uh, we have we have one more year with our contracts. So we'll be opening the season at Platteville. Um, at this point, you know we're still uh, still looking for a week two game. So I've uh, had a couple couple different conversations with different teams, and and uh, obviously we're a little bit restricted with travel and things like that. But trying to find a week two opponent, um, it will not be Buena Vista. Um, so you know we're looking to find uh, kind of that right fit for uh, for a week two opponent, and you know it's becoming harder and harder to schedule games. There's a couple of the kind of neighboring conferences um, that have gone to a nine-game conference schedule. So um, they're really only playing a week one non-conference game. Uh, we have Platteville under contract for, like I said, the one more year. Um, so finding that week two game has been a little bit more of a challenge, but we're, we're reaching out and, we, you know, like I said, we've talked to some schools and now we're just waiting to, uh, to hear back and see if we can find somebody. South Bend, Indiana. That's where we want to see you next. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> two questions for you from Quinn. The first is he would like to know how do you assess your coaching performance so far this season? Yeah, I mean I think we're graded by the results, and obviously at, at three and five we're not happy with uh, with the results, and, and that obviously um, you know falls on me. Um, so I, I think we have to be better as a staff. Um, been really happy with our defense staff. I think they've done a really nice job. Coach Lato's done a really nice job. Um, you know, offensively we just haven't found consistency, and, and again as the head coach and the and the offensive coordinator, um, you know, that's my job is to find more consistency and, and um, you know, we, we've really kind of fallen off after the first four games where I thought we played pretty well offensively. We, we've really fallen off, and um, we'll evaluate everything in the off season. Evaluate uh, schematically what we're doing. Evaluate, you know, what, you know, personnel. What, you know, what we're doing, and, and obviously we evaluate that week to week. It's not like it's a something we wait to the end of the season for, but. Um, you know, I think it's been a tough year for us with some injuries up front, and, and we haven't been as consistent on the offensive line as we'd hoped to be, and that's hampered us a little bit offensively. Um, the, the one thing I'll say is that you know our, our players have really played hard, and, and 
I don't think we've had any effort issues. You know, our, our guys have played hard. They've competed. Um, that hasn't been an issue. And I think that's, you know, when you talk about our coaching staff, uh, that's a really positive sign is that the, the players continue to play hard for us and continue to compete. And um, now we got to refine things and, and got to do a better job of teaching techniques and, um, you know, schematically just, just seeing if what we're doing is the right fit. Um, you know, so I, I'd say it's been um, – it's been a tough year, you know. It hasn't been uh, hasn't been our best or my best coaching performance. Um, and again, you know, it's it's one of those rare professions where the scoreboard kind of kind of tells your uh, your job performance week after week. And um, the scoreboard hasn't been positive for us this year. And you know, we have to take that and, and accept that. Speaking of coaching staff, he also asked. He says you have a very impressive track record in terms of how your coaching tree has developed. You have a lot of former assistants who are head coaches other places or who have moved on to become offensive or defensive coordinators in other places, that it even includes former players. Who do you see as your next assistant who could be a head coach or a coordinator somewhere else? Yeah, you know, I think uh, we've had a number of guys that have gone on and, and are doing really, really impressive things, guys that have worked with us, and, and uh, you know, that's exciting, and we're excited for them. You know, I think Coach Leto uh, has done an outstanding job. I think he's ready to be a head coach. Um, you know, I don't know what his timetable is, and, and some of it, you know, comes down to kind of what you want. Um, you know, some guys really want to be a head coach, and, and some guys are kind of happier in the role they're in. And, and uh, I think Coach Leto's somebody that's really developed. Uh, I think being the fact he's coached on both sides of the ball has been a real positive. Um, he's loved by our players. You know, he is universally uh, – as well liked as any any coach that we've had here. So I think from a head coaching standpoint, he's probably um, you know the, the guy who I would say is probably next in line or would be ready to be a be a head coach. Um, you know, Coach Feast has been with me for 17 years, and and Coach has been a high school head coach before. Um, you know, so I think if he wanted a bigger role, you know, certainly he'd have the opportunity to uh, you know to to take on those opportunities again. He's uh, a little bit older. You know, I'm not sure if he's necessarily looking to to move and kind of do a a whole career you know or a location change and things like that um but but does an outstanding job you know i think so he's somebody like i said that has worked on both sides of the ball and if he wanted a a bigger role would certainly be qualified and, and would be a, a great candidate for those positions and um you know i think uh, a couple of our, our newer coaches coach lp um is our offensive grad assistant work with our receivers but has a great football mind um you know, he's a guy that's going to be a coordinator at some point. He's coordinated at the high school level. He's been on staff at the Division One level, um, kind of an off-the-field role. But he, he's outstanding and um, really, from an X's and O's standpoint, is, is as good a GA as we've had here. Um, and then Coach Woodson with our defensive backs is, is again, a guy that uh, gets along great with the players, um, does a great job kind of coordinating our pass game on defense. Um, and he's a guy, I think, that, you know, as he, as he learns um, – kind of the front a little bit better. It's going to be a really good defense coordinator down the line. Again, he's a guy that gets along great with the players and um, done a really good job. We've had a very young secondary that this year, and those guys have played outstanding. So um, he's a guy that's going to be a coordinator down the line for sure. Next up we have Nick who says, I don't know how much other D3 conference football you watch, but it always seems like those teams that are in the top 25 have been around there for a very, very long time. There are 10 or 15 programs that are always ranked very high. That's why I was very stunned to see Mary Harden Baylor is out of the top 25. That seems unheard of to me. Yeah, you know, we don't um, – I, I don't get the chance to watch much Division three football. 
but we do obviously check the scores. We're following up on it. Uh, I, I vote in the American Football Coaches Association Top 25, so you know, I have a little bit more uh, motivation to follow it and make sure, obviously, that my vote is, is accurate and things like that. And um, you know, I think the biggest thing with D3, and, and you see this Division One, but, but certainly Division Three is there's a huge discrepancy in resources. Um, resources in terms of facilities, resources in terms of um, coaches, number of coaches, number of coaches that are recruiting. There's, there's huge discrepancies in tuition costs and how different schools uh, offer financial aid. And there's some built-in advantages to some of those top teams that, that keep them um, – keep them where they are year after year. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor has got, you know, probably the most impressive stadium I've seen at Division Three. They have tremendous resources. They have a tremendous recruiting base. Um, you know, I think part of part of them falling out of the top twenty five obviously was a huge surprise to a lot of people this year. Uh, but they also played, you know, one of the hardest schedules in, in, you know that that we've ever seen in Division Three. You know, they have four losses and you know their four losses are to um all top 25 teams, and they got beat by Harden-Simmons this year. That's been a great rivalry down there. Those have been kind of the two best teams in Texas for a long time, and Harden-Simmons got them for the first time, I think, since 2015. But, you know, Mary Harden-Baylor's other losses were, were Whitewater, um, River Falls, and uh, I think Trinity, um, who, who, again, those three teams are all in the top ten. You know, so it wasn't like they've, you know, fallen off a cliff. You know, they're probably – if you stack them up, they're probably one of the top 25 teams in the country. Uh, just with their losses in that game, they don't have a top 25 resume right now. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting year after year. You know, there was a point in time where Mount Union and Whitewater played for the national championship. You know, those two teams like six out of seven years. And part of it is that they have great coaching staffs. Uh, part of it is that they have great tradition. Uh, but part of it is also that, like I said, their their resources, their um, their universities commitment to athletics is different than some other places. And they have some of those built-in advantages that are really, really difficult to overcome. And, uh, you know, you can see why some of those schools stay where they're at year after year. And that's not to say their coaches and their programs don't do a great job, but there are some some huge built-in advantages that we have to acknowledge if we're going to say, um, you know, try, try to try to understand the big picture Division Three. And, um, you know, we're, we're in Wisconsin. That's also been a long-winded answer here, but uh, you know, in Wisconsin here, you know, our state school system, the UW system, uh, plays outstanding football, and it's the best football league in the country uh, for Division Three. Uh, but there's also some massive built-in advantages. You know, their tuition, uh, total cost for in-state students is about 15000 at those schools, and, and there's been a tuition uh, freeze for, for, you know, five or seven years now with the UW system, so that tuition cost hasn't gone up. So, you know, students in Wisconsin, you can go to the state school for very, very affordable costs, you're getting to go to school with, you know, eight to ten thousand other students, so you get a you get a major campus feel, um, and those are things that the the private schools in Wisconsin just can't offer. We can't compete with that, you know. So there's a reason that those schools are getting the top um, players pretty consistently from Wisconsin, and um, you know we're not getting nearly as many of those students. So again, those built-in advantages create a huge huge opportunity for those schools to continue to be very very good for a long time. That's very interesting. Marcus would like to know, he says, the COVID-19 situation allowed for a lot of fifth-year players to continue to play college football. Could you see that becoming a more routine thing where you had a redshirt freshman or a fifth-year player playing for you? Yeah, it's, it's different. Um, the, the COVID thing has been has been wild. You know, you look at, like, we talked about Platteville early in the year and the number of fifth-year seniors we played against week one and 
Aurora's in a similar situation. You know, a number of their guys, a number of their top guys are fifth-year guys. Um, you know, we're, we're hoping that, you know, next year will be kind of the last year of the COVID fifth-year situation. And we have a number of guys who are, are considering different options that may be back next year and um, haven't fully made decisions yet. But, but guys are looking into grad school and looking into different options. And, um, you know, but it, the, the different thing with D3 is that you don't have the ability to truly redshirt. You know, you can medical redshirt. Uh, if you get hurt during the season, if you get hurt during the first half of the season, you have the ability to potentially get that year back. Uh, but it's not like other levels of football where you can practice all season and, and, and redshirt and, and be a you know a fifth year guy as a redshirt senior. That's not an option in Division three. Um, so this COVID situation has really been been different. You know, it's been um, it, it's been kind of the first time in Division three that you've seen this mass number of fifth year guys. Um, and, and it's created, again, huge opportunities for some programs. It, you know, it, for us in, in 2021, it was a huge benefit. We had a group that, you know, would have been very, very good. Our senior class of 2020, um, they kind of missed the COVID year, was, was one of our best classes. And that became the 2021 fifth-year class. And we had seven of those guys that were key contributors. Um, you know, but the schools that have had, that have, um, you know, vast grad school opportunities, grad school options for students, um, have kept a lot of their fifth-year guys, Aurora being one of them. They have a you know a really really strong grad program, so a lot of their guys could stay for the fifth year, start grad school, and, and started in a number of different programs. Um, so that's been a huge opportunity for them. And there's been some other places like that. You know, Warburg right now is a, is a top five team, and they have you know a ton of fifth-year guys on defense and, and all across the board. And you really seen all the top programs kind of have these fifth-year guys and. You know, the, the difference between a senior and a freshman is huge. The difference between a fifth-year senior and a freshman or a sophomore is, is even bigger. So it's been a huge advantage, and at some point that's going to level back out. But it, it's really created an uneven playing field for the last three to four years, and, and hopefully, obviously, we never have a pandemic that creates a situation again, um, and, and things will start to level themselves out again, you know, after next season. Has the transfer portal changed that at all? Like, especially for a guy that might have gone to a Division two school, wasn't going to play there, and then thought, well, I'll go down to Division three and I'll play there where I'll be the starting quarterback. Did, did they get that extra year and might be willing to go five years because of that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's across the board. So anybody that was playing um, NCAA athletics, um, essentially that, that COVID year didn't count at all. So it was like a free year, you know, whether your team played um, – three games or six games or ten games, whatever it was, you, you got a bonus year. So, um, yeah, I, I think the transfer portal has made it easier for, for guys to move. Um, it's made it much more socially acceptable to move. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a huge, um, you know, a huge, huge advantage. You know, you're seeing it in Division One where you're seeing these six- and seven-year guys because the guy had, you know, a COVID year and they had maybe a, a traditional redshirt year and maybe they had a medical redshirt year and, um, you know, there's 24-year-olds playing against, you know, 18, 19-year-olds. And it's, it's just a huge advantage. But, yeah, the portal's been a huge part of that as well. It, it, the, the movement of players has been um, unprecedented. You know, we don't, we've never seen it before, and, and it continues to grow every year. Jonathan says, Coach, I've been watching college football for decades, and it always seems that teams like USC, Notre Dame, Penn State, Florida, UCLA, and, UC and Florida – I say that I think twice. And we're always in the top five, but now it looks like they're getting, they're trying to live off the glory days. Are, are we seeing that these teams are not no longer top five college football programs? 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think to be in the top five year after year is very hard. And, and I think there's probably, you know, those teams, you know, a lot of those teams you mentioned are probably top 15, top 20 teams now. Um, but when they had really had it going, they were, you know, consistently a top five or top six or top eight team. Um, so, yeah, I think there's been a little bit of that. I think there's some some other programs that, again, have resourced athletics, um, you know, have, have just done a good job of coaching hires, things like that, and maybe those schools have, have you know, gotten better. You know, a school like Georgia, um, you know, since they hired Kirby Smart, has gone from being kind of a top 10, 12, 15 program to, you know, the top program. Um, you know, Alabama was, you know, had a, had a rough stretch in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they hired Saban and other, you know, the premier program, and, and, and a Clemson that, you know, again had, um, you know, kind of been through some struggles, were, were kind of a mediocre program, and they make a good coaching hire. Now they're a top, you know, 10 program year in and year out. So I think it's a little bit cyclical. I think um, I think one thing is I think it's the recruiting landscape is much more wide open. You know, I think it used to be where guys stayed much more regional. You know, if you were a kid from the Midwest, you were going to go to Michigan or Ohio State or Notre Dame or Penn State. You know, you're going to stay more of like a Big Ten type school. And now you have the ability to uh, to go anywhere. And it's much more wide open that way. And um, I think TV and, and the opportunity for everybody to be on TV. Um, you know, there was a point in time when Notre Dame had an exclusive TV contract with NBC. And the fact that every Notre Dame game – was televised was a huge recruiting advantage for Notre Dame. And, and, you know, now Alabama, every one of their games is televised. So some of that stuff is leveled, and guys are able to see a lot more different schools. So I I just think it's a lot more wide open. It's probably good for college football. There's a little bit more parity, and there's more of an ability for for some of those teams to to be better and to rise up. Walt says you seem very high on San Francisco, but are you still as hyped after they lost their last three games? Yeah, yeah, I still think they're they're really really good. I still think they would probably be my pick out of the NFC, but um, you know Purdy hasn't looked quite as good the last couple of weeks, and that that's really the key is um, you know if he's the guy he was the first five weeks, I think they're the best team. If he's not, then there's probably a little more of an opportunity for um, you know somebody else to come up and, and get him, especially in the NFC. But I, I'd still say they're they're my NFC favorite. Trent says, how did the Bruton family Halloween trick-or-treating game plan work out? And upon further review, are there any adjustments to make for next year? Yeah, you know, overall, it was a really good performance. So um, our youngest two, uh, Kanan and Blakely, went, went trick-or-treating. Colton is now a freshman in high school, and he uh, he's no longer in the trick-or-treating. He's in the stealing his brother and sister's candy mode and not really in the uh, put in the work to get the candy mode, which, which is fine. You know, you're, a high school, you're in high school now. We, we get it, but... Uh, two young kids, I thought the effort was really good. You know, we went to uh, kind of two different neighborhoods in Plymouth. Um, and, and, you know, they do a nice job in Plymouth. People are pretty crazy about Halloween, the decorations. And um, a lot of people are outside. They got little fire pits going. And they're, you know, you don't have to go to the door. They're, they're sitting in the driveway ready for you, which is which is really nice. Creates a more, much more efficient Halloween trick-or-treating uh, plan. Uh, the, biggest, the biggest complaint I have, we had a couple opportunities where, um, you know, a lot of people are leaving the bowl out now. They're saying pick one or pick two, whatever it is. And I thought some of our choices were poor. Um, we had a couple houses with full-size candy bars where you could pick a full-size candy bar, and we came back with, with a Butterfinger and, like, a 500-grand bar, uh, which is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, there have to be better options in the bowl than, than those options. So a little bit of that, you know, you get those opportunities for, for a full-size candy bar, you got to take advantage of those opportunities and, and – and, uh, 
make the right decision. So we had a couple poor decisions there that we'll talk about. We'll, we'll, we'll get in film and we'll go through options. You know, our, they, they got to know the hierarchy of candy bars and Butterfinger, Baby Ruth, 500 grand, not at the top. Uh, but outside of that, you know, a, a really good performance. We got a ton of candy, um, so, so happy with that. And uh, they did a good job overall. I was happy with the effort. It was a little cold, and, and I thought uh, a little worried about Blakely going in. She's only five. Thought she may uh, she may get a little too cold, but she really uh, gave a great performance. So I was really really proud of that. I, I believe you told us last year too that the parents get ten percent. Was, was that the yeah. tax that was on the candy? At a minimum, yeah, at a minimum. So there's uh, you know they go to school, and usually on my way out the door, there's a couple pieces taken for the uh, for the drive into work. So. Yeah, at a minimum 10%. It's probably closer to 20. Derek says, we've got to hear a lot about your least favorite candies in recent weeks. So tell us the bottom five for candy. Ooh, you know, I think uh, just looking at Halloween candy, um, i trying to think. Uh, I think the, the number one probably most overrated candy is, is a Smarties. Um, they're they're pretty, pretty terrible. And, and really... I think one of the things you'll see, and just overall, any candy that you're really only getting on Halloween is a trash candy, right? So um, there's there's no situation where you're going to the gas station, you're on a road trip, and you're going to buy some candy that you're buying Smarties, right? It's not even an option, and that's because it's a terrible candy. Um, and you'll see some other things like that. So I'd say Smarties probably number one. I'm not a big fan of, like, any sort of sucker. I don't really want to, you know – a sucker, um, Tootsie Rolls, you know, like you get some of that stuff. Like that, that's just, just admit you're cheap if you're giving kids Tootsie Rolls for, for, uh, for Halloween, you know. Um, so not, not a fan there. Um, I'm trying to think what else. We had, we had a couple uh, uh, mounds, not, not a fan of mounds. Um, Kanan, Kanan came back with some Whoppers, was excited about Whoppers, and, and I, I was – Really disappointed in that selection. Um, so they're 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 like a bottom candy for me. Um, and and then you know overall like I, I want chocolate. I don't want you know the the sour stuff and and the, you know, the sweet stuff. I'm not not really a big fan of that stuff. So anything that's going to be really sour, I'm going to pass on as well. Here's an interesting question. I don't think anybody anybody's ever posed this one to you, so I like this. So Brady says, including crust and style and toppings. Give me the perfect pizza. Um, so I, I am a, a straight cheese pizza guy. Um, I, I'll do sausage. I, I don't. I like sausage on a pizza, but if I'm ordering a pizza, it's probably going to be straight cheese. Um, I'm going to want a, a, a deep dish crust, ideally. I, I want it cooked a little, a little dark. So a little bit of a, a little bit of crunch in the crust. If we can get some sort of like a butter crust, that that's even preferred. Uh, and then I'm big on sauce. I, I want I want a little bit of extra sauce in the pizza. So my favorite pizza is like a Chicago style deep dish with the sauce on top. Um, we go a little bit heavy on the sauce, and, and, and we're ready to go. So that's uh that that would be that would be my selection there. And our words of wisdom for this week. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think looking ahead to the, to this week, um, you know, I, the, the thing we've talked to our guys about is just don't limit ourselves. You know, don't limit what we can do on Saturday. Don't limit what you can do in general. You know, and I think anytime you go into a game or into a situation where you're putting limits on yourself, uh, you've already lost. You know, you, and we, we've talked to our guys about that this week. We're playing a great opponent. 
I want our guys, again, to compete every rep and just say, can we win the next rep? Can we win the next play? Can we, beat, can we win our matchup the next play? Um, and that's our mentality. We're not going to limit, you know, we're not going in there, like, like I said earlier, with an idea that, hey, if we can keep it this close or if we can do this, if we can score this many points, you know, we're not going to put a limit on ourselves, in, and I don't think we should put a limit on ourselves in, in anything that we do. So um, that's my words of wisdom. Don't, don't limit yourself. Go out and compete and, and see what happens. Fantastic. Coach Bruton, thanks for joining us this week. Hey, Rob, I appreciate you.